Welcome to Alley and Passero. I'm Alan Alley with Jim Passero and our friend James Ball running for House District 36. For the last the, for last, the last podcast. That yeah, we get then to, you're going to be representative elect James it's, Ball. Yeah, or something. Right? Or, <laughs> or James Ball who got, you know, 6,323 votes when Republican registration is 3,138. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. We'll I'll, I'll up, call that a W. We'll come up with a fraction for, and we'll just nickname you the fraction. There you, you know, go. Like, like two thirds or, or seven eighths or whatever that works out to be. Jim's not amused. No, I voted for James. Oh, yeah, that's I, I right. Sent, and I sent him a picture of my ballot. Yeah, that's right. And I sent, I sent the mayor a picture. I voted for the mayor, and I sent him a picture of the ballot, and he came back with, let's go for a drink. You didn't come back with that. I, so if I vote for the mayor, I get a free drink. I'm sorry. I see you well, every week. I, I don't like think that he was... got a free drink. Yeah. He just said, let's go for a drink. Right. And the implication may be that you're buying him a drink. Oh, okay. So what do you okay. think about the mayor? Is he going to win? Oh, Oh, <laughs> it's not where I wanted to start, a, but it's a good place to start. such a deep question. Oh, oh, whoa. I, I think the mayor needs to be on a psychiatric couch, and I need to be on a psychiatric couch to answer the question of what I think about the mayor. I've known him for a long time, and we're all, we're all friends, but it's just you, the big, it's the big, the issue is so much bigger, the pandemic and the homeless. Uh, yeah. The homeless issue is so much bigger than anything. Everybody, I have all these friends, especially Democrats. I mean, they're just pacing this weekend. They can't, they can't breathe. They can't think. They can't do anything. They're just pacing, pacing and so nervous about the presidential election, which is going to have much less to do with their life right. than what is going on in their city, which is just, I mean, to allow neighborhoods to be overtaken by homeless. It is the breakdown of civilization. And it's just, it's so eerie and bizarre the way you go from normal life to all of a sudden you're driving on Powell Boulevard oh. and they're block and block and block of homeless camps or down in Northwest. I mean, it's just, it I, is so depressing. I blame more than, more than Wheeler. I blame the Democratic Party for that. I think that, uh, I mean, we have such a weak mayor system. He, he is sort of hamstrung by the, the, the system. And he's hamstrung by, I mean, that's why he couldn't do anything about the protest is because the extreme left would have, would have filleted yeah, him for but, it. But, I mean, it starts with, I mean, you go to this measure on the ballot 110 to legalize hard drugs at the same time that we have this, we have these drug camps. We don't want to call them drug camps. Right. And so that's why we can't do anything. Isn't that right, James? Uh, yeah. Okay. So why can't we call them drug camps? No. I, so I, when are we, when, are, how bad does it, get to have to be before we call them drug camps. So the 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 thing that's this sort of out of body experience mm -hmm. as you look at this is we all know you just mm -hmm. said it they're drug camps. Mm -hmm. There's lots of drugs being used. Mm -hmm. So what you do is your answer is well let's just legalize all the drugs. <laughs> right? Right. And when I talked to my my friend that was a uh, Multnomah County sheriff what he said was, look, if you legalize the drugs and you take away the threat of doing hard time, mm -hmm. there's no incentive to go into the rehab program, right? right? That, right. that they don't lock people up for well, drugs unless, but they use it as an alternative to say, you can either do hard time mm -hmm. or we have a program that exists today that puts you on a path to drug and I have a couple well, so of professional would, I, friends who just got, you know, in the last couple of years got faced with that choice and chose 
dream it. Well, I say there are, very, I don't think there are a whole lot of people that fall into that. I think that the vast majority of people you're talking about are addicted to heroin or meth or these hard drugs. And it's not really a choice for them. It's, it's like, I don't know. I've, I've never been addric- addicted to those things, but it, it, you know, no, I don't think they choose that lifestyle. I think that the, the lifestyle kind of, um, I think it's much more over, complicated the, than just the a, drug, a choice. The drug overtakes their their ability to choose, right? In in somewhat the same way that the phone overtakes your ability to put it <laughs> yeah. away. For you know, we you know we get addiction, but it's but it's what will society tolerate in its dealing with the addiction? What are the so because in Washington County where they do it, what uh, Alan says under the leadership of of Kevin Barton, Barton, the district attorney, they don't have drug camps. But in Multnomah County, they've decided that apparently uh, people that are addicted have all sorts of rights that, that that they're willing to infringe on your ability to enjoy a life of, of civilization. Well, I don't think it has to be either or. And I uh, I think so a, what would you a, do? a better solution to 110 um, Did you vote for be, 110? No. I did not. Um, I Even think it, I think like it has a good, I think it, I think it tried to do the right thing, but I think it's doing the wrong way. I think that it would be much more effective if we, tr- if we reform prisons to be less of a punishment and more of a rehabilitation and not just for drugs, but for anything. It's you go to prison so that you can figure out how to get back into society and how to, how to be a productive member of society. And so you have, you send people who are addicted to heroin to jail they spend six to eight months or however long it is i don't know how long you stay in, in jail for drugs and you're talking to a counselor and you're right. you're t- going through rehab while in jail and you have no you can't leave because you're in jail and then when you get out you have the support network you have the other uh, rehabilitation steps to try to reintegrate you into society and get you out of that cycle of well of and, addiction and that's what rhode island did in that mm-hmm. video yeah. seattle what Seattle's was it? dying seattle yeah. is dying yeah, but decriminalizing was, drugs doesn't doesn't solve no. the problem. It just keeps the 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 addicted people on the streets living in smaller. No, that was exactly what they did. Where you went into a program, the the program was basically an enforced program. Yeah, you didn't have a choice. Yeah, and the response now, you know, all of these <laughs> all of these things they wanted to portray that it's a successful program. So it it was portrayed as a successful program, but it makes sense. That you have people that were addicted to drugs that go into a very structured environment and and they say, look, I never would have done this on my own. I, I never like- would have done it if I wasn't forced to do so it. So what is you the argument against of- what is the argument against that? I mean, because I- in my mind, if you're if you're addicted and you, and you live on the street in some squalid tent and there's feces and everything else, you've lost your constitutional rights. Uh, <laughs> I would why, know that why, I would go that why, far. Why? Why? Uh, well, I think you'd, the the pushback is that you'd have to restructure the entire system because right now you have prisons and prison guards, and you would have to hire counselors, and you'd have to separate people. That if you're in there for drug offenses, you go to drug rehab, and if you're in there for assault, you go to anger management. You go to, um, you know, you, you it's it's a much more involved, complicated, difficult system that would require money. It would require and. Someone's in the deepest blue state in the country, and we Rhode Island it did it. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and and I think what they did is they actually created a separate entity, a a drug rehabilitation 
prison, if yeah. you want to call it that, that, so, that well, only had people that were in that program. Okay, so you live near Jowlin Field. Um, yes. I won't give exactly your address, but you know it's near Jowlin Field. You just doxed him. <laughs> yeah, you could right. you could probably find my address on the internet if okay. you looked hard enough. Yeah. So. Okay, so so you live near Jowlin Field near Burnside. What are you? How are you going to? What what is going to be your response if there a drug city just shows up on 18th and Burnside and just takes over around the field. We'll come back and talk about that in the next segment. <laughs> this is Ali and Pacero and James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. So, James, Jimmy just set you up. They've moved into your neighborhood. What do you do? They're already in my neighborhood. Well, but I mean, like, but, but in a, in, in the, in the kind of mass way that they are between 51st and 55th on Powell, or they are, uh, right by Riverside Country Club where they run for, you know, a half a mile on the border of the 10th hole there at Riverside. They're still, I mean, there's still laws against that and against illegal camping. Oh, whoa, and so you, flags are coming <laughs> so out. So that's what Come they, on. Why are you yeah. dodging this? What I mean, I mean, you you made fun. You said I wouldn't take away their constitutional rights. Well, if, if, okay, if there's a drug a, camp city and you're paying twenty five hundred dollars for an apartment in a trendy neighborhood, and all of a sudden they got to move. Yeah, they got to move. They don't yeah. have their constitutional rights anymore because there are laws against it which we don't enforce. Well, that's not a constitutional. That's not a constitutional right to camp in the middle Anywhere. of the city. Right, right. Okay. Urban camping isn't a constitutional right, but we let people do it. And yeah. that's what – I mean – Because we don't enforce the laws, right. And anecdotally, it's gotten three times worse, four times – multiples mm-hmm. times yeah, you worse. And I, you and I are going to be uh, working on a project to show – In uh, the last six yeah. months. Yeah. Right? Since Since basically COVID. Yeah. And, uh, it's far worse than COVID. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, it's kind of unimaginable. Yeah. I was just in Arizona and we saw nothing like mm-hmm. zero, none. Yeah. And there is tons and tons of open space, yeah. lots and lots of places for it to occur. Nothing. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'd really like to understand what are the differences. What are the, what are the differences city to city? I I talked about this in relation to the uh, Oregon State budget. Is that we should benchmark, meaning compare our budget against other peer states, mm-hmm. and coordinate with other governors to do that. To come up with a list, it's called the chart of accounts that says these are all the people we have, these are their classifications, match that up, and then compare it. And I'd love to do that. I'd love to do it for lots of things. I'd love to do it for transit. I'd love to do it for the homeless problems because there are cities where you just don't see it. Well, when I hear people say, well, we need a systematic reform and we need a holistic approach, those to me are words that they don't want to do to solve a problem. And I get, and the question is why? Why? Because the Democrats are not being challenged. 
because there's no elector there so is, is no electoral the, risk to them the ignoring the problem. This, this is just the yeah, mold this is of what a one-party state. It's the problem of a one-party state yeah. is there's no electoral risk to allowing these problems to continue. They can talk a big game and talk about how they care about people and they're the the party of, you know, let's all hug and get along, but then there's these homeless people who are who are, you know, just living in these awful circumstances. And the Democratic Party doesn't want to do anything about it because it's hard. And yeah, it's hard. And there's no electoral risk to them for ignoring it. And Mm -hmm. so they continue to ignore it. Well, and is there is there also the aspect that you can continue to raise unlimited money to, quote, solve the problem? So you can keep raising taxes, fees and fines. You can keep creating bigger and bigger programs and more bureaucracy to address the problem. And if you never address it, if it never actually goes away, I know that sounds, you know, like I should wrap aluminum foil around my head. And (laughs) and people say, oh, Alan, that's ridiculous. Of course they want to solve the problem. That's not what I saw. When I worked in government, it it isn't a premeditated, you know, sort of nefarious thing. It's just, well, my incentive is I'm doing good things. I should do more good things. I should have more money to do more good things. And I, and I'm very passionate about what I do. And it, I think that's really the issue is that, that it's not in their best interest to completely solve the problem. Yep. In this case, I mean, if, if it's not in their interest to solve the problem, we've gone insane. I mean, you, you know, the, the fact that we're tolerating this and, and, and people are moving here from around the country and, uh, to to live in these camps and of course now there's all sorts of rumors out there and they half of them may be true that soros is funding protesters who are living in tents near these camps and you know that there's a there's a mix now of 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 who's down on the street i don't know if there's i I think that's a little bit tinfoily to say soros is funding people but people definitely move here because we are so lax with our rules and if you want to i said it was a rumor (laughs) well I don't know that I learned it in the park know. yesterday from a from from, but from a man whose son is a fireman. People are absolutely moving here, no. uh, and you know that doesn't fit with the liberal narrative, right. and so they're not going to talk about that. But people know that you can live on the street and do heroin, and there's relatively few uh, processes to make you stop doing that, and right. so people and even a lot of services, yeah, to help. To, uh, there's a lot of services you. you can get. Well, you can get three meals a day. Live in a tent in the city. Another observation is. The tents are getting better. Is that two years ago there were tarps, right? Right, and now there's like REI tents. Well, the churches give out nine hundred dollar tents. Well, that must be what's going on. Is that somebody's giving out? Somebody is quote funding it to give out nice and and that's like part of the problem is when you are enabling the the behavior rather than fixing the behavior and. You know, I don't want people living under tarps. You know, I would prefer them living in in better housing. But at the same time, when you make it easier to live on the street, more people are going to live on the street. You need to have you need to enforce the laws and again, work to rehabilitate people so that they are not living on the street because no one benefits from them living on the street. Nobody wants to live on the street like this is this is a problem that needs to be so fixed, this is not enabled. Yeah, this is where as the CEO of the city, whatever and. In companies, companies are very complex and there's lots of things going on and there's many, many different markets and products and things. And as the CEO, you have to say, look, I want this homeless issue 
to be solved and I want to solve it humanely and I want to take care of people and I want to be a model for the rest of the country. So when we get together for a staff meeting, I don't want to hear anything other than what we're doing, what's our process that we're going through to solve this issue. It's the number one, number two, number three priority. There isn't anything else. And I would give you some free campaign advice is that – you're smiling. You should be. <laughs> um, which is that it's a little late, Jim. Uh, it's, eh, but he's going forward as a leader of the are. state. So November first. Yeah, but you're going forward. I mean, this is not going to be your last campaign. This is not the last hurrah for James Ball. But what I don't get from you is, and I voted for you. Is thanks. I want, um, I want a counter, a clear counter argument to what's going on. I want to be able to go to JamesBall.com or wherever and say. What Alan said. What is your plan? You know, you're in the shadow government, right? Mm-hmm. So you, if if so, that people have a place to go, who who live in your district and say, well, if this guy should be in charge because he's making a case that I understand. Yeah. But if you, you know, if if you lay it out in too um, holistic a way, right? Then it's like, oh, you kind of sound a little bit like Ted Wheeler. You know, maybe a rational Ted Wheeler. I'm sorry, Ted. Well, this is. <laughs> Well, this is well, what our, our we got it. We've got to take a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about broader issues about the election, and we are going to uncover the truth behind Hunter Biden's emails. Back in a moment, Ali and Pacero with James Ball. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. James, what are you going to do? <laughs> you have the magic wand. <laughs> yeah, so actually a really interesting proposal was put out by uh, a, a friend of ours on Friday. Um, Turn the Expo Center into a homeless mm. shelter. Uh, it's at the terminus of the yellow right. line. It's away from residential and commercial property. It's this giant building that's not being used for anything because we're in the middle of COVID. Right. And even outside of COVID, like you're gonna you're gonna go to the convention center before you go to the Expo Center. Right. So set, my- set up some dividers. <laughs> put some mental health counselors gonna, out are there. Are you gonna allow them to do drugs out there? You. No, I then mean they're not going mean, to go. Well, then, but, <laughs> so, so, so here's going to be thing. an empty expo center. Here's the thing: you cannot, you can't. The reason we have so many homeless people living in downtown Portland is because you can't criminal, you can't make it illegal to camp on the street if they have nowhere else to go. And so this is where they can go. This is the alternative. And so then you come around in Portland and you say you can't sleep here. Right. And they say, well, where am I going to go? And he's like the Expo Center. Let me drive you there. Right. And you just rinse and by and the repeat. way, it's drug free. Right. By the way, it's drug free. And so you just keep doing this. You send them out and they there get, and they get out See, with their dog and start walking. When back I heard to downtown. this, I thought, well, so what? But you do this enough times. People, yeah. people are not like they, they want to sit in their tents and they want to hang out and do drugs and not. But if you make them move every 12 hours, they're going to either go to counseling, they're going to go to the expo center, or they're going to leave Portland if they want to live that lifestyle. So, yeah. one, the start. one, good idea. Yeah. And that's exactly, the, kind, cred- that's exactly it, the kinds of ideas that we need. Two, when I heard it first, I thought, uh-oh, this is Vanport 2.0. Because mm-hmm. it is where Vanport was, right? The expo center? Um, where the track is? Where PIR is? I think that's right. Yeah. And- 
So there's a little marketing problem around that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but see, it's, that's that's the a, problem. I mean, we shouldn't be worrying about marketing problems. <laughs> no, but it is a marketing problem because you have to market this to the electorate. And Vanport is not something that we're going to exactly I embrace. I think people and, would feel really good if there was somebody. It's, you know, it's, you'd it, you'd it, have it, a lot of pushback. You yeah. know, but I think people would feel, feel really good if they thought somebody was actually working on the product problem in a in a productive way mm-hmm. going you know if, if it took three or four or five years to solve but they thought somebody was actually moving the ball in the right direction and had a clear vision they feel way better than they feel yeah. now which no is just i think chaos. that's absolutely true yeah. i think it's absolutely true and the anecdotal evidence is it's getting worse not better mm-hmm. there's more people mm-hmm. on the street yep. there's there's more squalor there's yep. more miasma of yuck. way more way, way more way more not just a little exponential more. yeah not just a little bit more. So, yeah, CEO of the city, that's what I do. Create a big homeless shelter at the Expo Center. And well, then you start they, enforcing the rules around didn't downtown. did they do something with the old uh, the cl- uh, prison that was never opened? What was yes. that? Yes. So, the Wapato facility. Yeah. So, um, what's going on out there? renamed it Bobby Lake. So, that's being, that's a private uh, thing that they're doing. And they I think they have like 200 beds or something, which is a oh. pretty large shelter, but there's thousands of people in downtown yeah. Portland. It's It's no, a... It's, it's a great idea and a great project, It's, but it's not going to solve Portland's uh, homelessness problem. Yeah. One thing I, I, wanna, I do want to get to is um, the Hunter Biden emails. And the reason I want to get to it is nobody else seems to want to talk about it. Certainly, the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it. And this is an uncovering, I think, mostly through Fox uh, and I'm not a big Fox fan either. I mean, I, 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 I really don't like any of the mainstream media, including Fox and MSNBC and CNBC and all this stuff. But it appears that, um, Hunter was, uh, negotiating, working in Russia, in the Ukraine. This is how he got on the Burisma board, got paid $50,000 a year. There was, he was working with a, a uh, credible business guy to set up an operation in China. And as all this was going on, it was right during the time at the end of the Obama-Biden administration and then the beginning of the Trump administration. It was all in that sort of window. And the question is, how much was Joe Biden involved and how much did he do? Um, when I look at it and I've looked at all the information that I can – did Joe Biden technically do anything wrong from what I've seen? Probably not. You know, his son is out doing business dealings and dad is kind of around. He's not, um, they've kept his, his direct fingerprints off a lot of things. Um, but the second thing is, is it really the, the right thing for the vice president of the United States to sort of be, around his son doing these dealings and it's not it it isn't like hunter was going on the board of procter and gamble or general motors right something that has a lot of of rigorous um disclosure he's going on the board of sort of murky multinational corporations headquartered in eastern europe or in china right and it's just it's like that's just not good so the other thing is, is that I don't, it, it's to me, 
it's actually very similar to the Trump Ukraine thing where Trump has a phone call with the guy in Ukraine. Maybe they thought about doing something a little more aggressive, but as it sort of unfolded, they decided, yeah, we better back off. Right. And it's very analogous to that. In one case, the media eviscerated Trump and the Congress impeached him. In the other case, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm astounded by this. So what I've got some information from NBC that I want to share with you guys, but I'd love to get your, your takes. Uh, James. Well, I think the whole Trump thing should have been a non-issue also. I mean, I don't know. I like, I, I you're right. They're not treating it fairly, but I mean, there's, there's corruption and then there's legal corruption and there's nepotism and there's, you know, illegal nepotism and there's legal nepotism. And right. like, was some of this stuff going on? Absolutely. It's been going on for forever. And is anyone, I don't, I'm not surprised that it's going on. I'm not surprised that Hunter Biden is getting board seats, making 60 grand a month right? Uh, for companies that he has, doesn't speak the language and has no background in. Uh, that doesn't surprise me, but it's not illegal. And I think it's just a big and if it needs to become illegal, then we need to the legislators need to make it legal, well, make it illegal. There are different issues. I mean, uh, in the Hunter Biden case, this is this is swamp disease. One oh one, one oh two, one oh three, one oh four. And it really shows. I mean, and the, the, the vice president, you know, he may not be in the emails. He may not be the big guy who got was going to get 20 percent or he may be. I, but but the the idea that the vice president is. You know, not having strict rules with his families about international boards with, where the money is obviously going to buy influence into the Biden family is, is everything that Donald Trump ran against. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's a, it's a really rotten system. And two days from now, we may have a restoration of the swamp. And so, you know, in, in, in Trump's case with this, uh, situation with the Ukraine phone call, this is just, Trump not having a public board where he had, he had really good people in his cabinet. He got mad at most of them and fired them. And he, he never, he, you know, that's his own weakness in not having people around him who draw boundaries and that he listens to. Because especially if you're going to be the crazy CEO, which, you know, visionary, which is what Donald Trump is, you know, you better have a pretty good board to stop some of the stuff. And we've said that before, is that Donald Trump has run a family business. He's never had a board, mm -hmm. right? There's never really been a board. And that phone call is the kind of thing that comes out of a family business and not out of a public board. Right. You know? And and that phone call, this happens all the time in in business, especially with with strong-willed CEOs. I got seven ideas today. Right, where they come up with some idea and it's like, hey, let's go do this. It's like, And then it gets to the staff and the staff goes, boss, we got a problem because that's not really legal. Yes. You, you, you can't actually do that. Yeah. Well, what, what do you mean I can't do it's that? It's a good idea. It's a good idea. It would be good for the company, right? It's like, well, it's boss, yeah, it's a good idea, but not not yeah. exactly. Yeah. And here's why. And and then you kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not illegal to talk about things that potentially could be illegal. Yeah, It's illegal to do things. And many, many, many times 
you you come up with an idea, you actually believe that this is something that I should be able to do. And then you find out, hmm, rule against that. Why? Because some nefarious guy in the history well, went off and did that. Well, they had a there's an anecdote about the Nixon administration during the early days of Watergate. Nixon was going on and on about the media and Dan Rather and how awful they were and blah, blah, blah. Sound familiar? Yeah. And uh, and he's going and he finally says, God, I wish somebody would just take that Dan Rather out. You know, <laughs> and, and Haldeman. Does comes, he say that? Something like that. Yeah. And Haldeman comes back, comes back comes back into the into the Oval Office about five hours later and he said, did you tell G. Gordon Liddy to shoot Dan Rather? And, and Nixon <laughs> says, no. Well, he's on his way right now. And, uh, you know, that's the, you know, that's, that is the, the frustration. So, um, uh, along these lines, somebody posted this on Facebook, an NBC News article. Oh, we're going to have to get back. I'll, I'll pick this up after the break. This is Ali and Pissero with our friend James Ball for House District 36. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with James Ball. We're talking about the Hunter Biden emails. And uh, I saw an NBC News article that sort of point by point in exhaustive detail goes through this email was not what was represented by Fox News because of this and who it was sent to and, and refuting, refute, refute, refute. This is why and it was couched as this is why we're not covering the story. Right. Because it's just a big nothing burger. Right. You read about three quarters of the way through this and they say something. I wish I could pull the quote, but they say something to the effect of, well, and Trump did a bunch of things that were way worse. (laughs) And 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 this is a matter of um, equivalency or whatever, is that Trump did these horrible things. And this really isn't this. So we really shouldn't cover it. And even though. You know, that in a vacuum, you might cover something like this because it is the vice president of the United States and it is his son and they are dealing with foreign national corporations. But Trump did way worse things, so we're not going to cover it. And and I really do think that has a huge effect on why this isn't being picked up, and that that they're just like, well, Trump's a horrible person. You know, the left likes to point about whataboutisms on the right that, you know, hey, Trump did this. Oh, well, what about the other thing that the Democrats did? And this is a, a leftist trope. And I think that this is the, the left is doing it just as bad, if not worse. And this is one of those things like two wrongs does not make a right. Okay. Trump did something that should be dealt with on its own. And now Biden's doing something and that should also be dealt with. And I think this goes back to the, the Supreme Court thing as well. I think that the Republicans were wrong when they did not confirm Obama's uh, Merrick Garland back in 2016. However, because they didn't have, they, to, they didn't have to confirm, well, they, had, they had to give him a hearing. Well, in, I mean, they in any case, I, I think them. that I think that the Republicans were wrong in that sense. Right. But now that Amy Coney Barrett, it's okay to have an ideological fight over the court, though, isn't it? Since Robert Bork. Okay. I, I no. mean, <laughs> I, I, my point is that doing something wrong four years ago does not mean that you should do the same thing wrong four years later. Okay, and this is 30 and, some years ago when Bork started. Yeah. Okay. So, but let's get to that point for just a second on the court because that, the reason that's so important is that if, if, if Biden wins, you know, in this race to be a banana republic, which we seem to be uh, destined to do where, where the other side needs to go to jail, you know, if they're out of power, um, 
you know, the, the alternative to that is, hey, let's give everybody amnesty for a few years, f- few years and try to get some sanity back into our system. Um, but the court thing, you know, Trump getting three members on the court is the thing that the Democrats, I don't think are going to, I wish they could let go if they win and just say, let it go. But I don't think that they, I don't are, think they will. No, uh, yeah. And that's going to just create. Uh, you know, more and more problems. So going back to back to Bork in 1988 when he was nominated or 87, whenever he's nominated by Reagan and they ideologically kicked him off the court. Now we didn't have up until that point, most of the people who got nominated who didn't get confirmed was because of ethical issues. Abe Fortas uh, under Lyndon Johnson. Um, but that changed with Bork. So is it wrong to i mean it's not in the constitution you know right. the senate can advise and consent but it doesn't say in the constitution how what are the rules under which the senate advises and consents so is that is that wrong to to have give somebody a hearing and then not let them on the court because you ideologically have the power of the senate to yes. say no you think that's wrong i do yeah i don't think that's wrong so the whole the whole thing about court packing is if the presidential election swings the way the polls are saying, Senate and the House. Uh, it could be the trifecta for the Democrats, that they have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and that they can pass the legislation to pack the court. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the but, other thing that but, you'd have the right to do, and I want to make this point, they could clarify Roe v. Wade. Right. They could clarify Heller, the, the uh, mm-hmm. Second Amendment one. They could They could pass legislation – to make it completely unambiguous so that the court is irrelevant in these major decisions. But will they do that? No. They'll come up with some scheme to pack the Supreme Court to punt this, to okay. punt these issues over to the Supreme okay. Court, which I'm, I, I think is, is a okay, complete so that, dereliction okay, of duty. Okay, that's, well, because that, they're all trying to get reelected. Okay, but that's a different question. You address the question first, Alan. Is it wrong for Lindsey Graham? Now he says, you know, he voted to confirm Sotomayor and a Kagan. But is it wrong for him to just say when when a, when a, corp, uh, a judge comes up and, and he's in the chairman of the General Senate Judiciary Committee, I'm going to vote against you. I, I, you may be a fine judge, but you're going to be on the wrong side of Roe v. Wade, so I'm going to vote against you. I, I don't begrudge anybody for voting whatever no, but, way but they I'm want just saying to. We had a tradition for a long time in the country. <clears throat> I'm not. I, what I'm saying is, I, I don't yeah, really. T- I, I get that, but, but I don't really care. I mean, if that's the way you feel you should vote, you should vote that way. I don't think they should be bound. To I don't think they should be bound to rubber stamp. Rubber stamp, right. No, I don't think you should. they should be bound to rubber stamp either. But the court should not be another legislative body. The court should be there <clears throat> to make sure that the laws passed are consistent with the Constitution. The judges- and that should be irrelevant but when it ju- comes to their but, personal beliefs. But the judges say in the hearings, you know, I'm not going to talk about any of these courts cases because of what you're saying, James. It, but, but we know because of the, the judge came from the list of the Federalist Society and who nominated them, what their ideological uh, predisposition probably sort of. is. Sort and, of. And there has John been, Roberts, we don't, yeah. Right. John Roberts is the one that I was going to bring up, but they're, they do sort of drift. Once you put on that robe yeah. and you sit there, they tend to drift to be more of a apolitical, especially mm. the Republican appointees. Bush, suitor under Bush. And if one of our friends was here, he'd go crazy, right? Mm. But if you if you track, there's charts of tracking how mm. the judges have voted over time. And they all vote more liberal. 
the, the Republicans tend the, the ones appointed by Republicans tend to moderate their positions. The ones that happened to Saturday O'Connor nominated by Democrats, no. not quite as much. So, um, but the thing that that drives me crazy, and I, I, you know, I'll just repeat it: is you have the ability to clarify this legislatively. They have the ability you to make Roe Ro versus Wade. Wade unambiguous. They have the ability yeah. to make Heller unambiguous to instantiate in law this is what the second amendment means this is what your right to an abortion or not a right to an abortion means this is they can draw bright lines they won't draw the bright lines no, no because they're gonna they're gonna tick people off and when they do that then they have to go <laughs> defend that to voters they risk run getting primaried or not elected again and so you punt it to the unelected appointed supreme court right. and you you absolve yourself of responsibility on those matters right and yeah. and it's the more you, the more you punt to the supreme court the more partisan issues you punt to the supreme court the more important it is to make sure that the pre supreme court reflects your position we've I, got to take a break we'll come back this is alien pacero welcome back to alien pacero I've got James Ball here, House District 36, the Republican running in House District 36. Correct. You had a comment on our last segment. Yeah, well, I think that we should demand that our Supreme Court justices be apolitical and that their personal views do not matter because they are going to take laws or cases that are presented to them and apply them against the Constitution and decide where it like, is it constitutional or is it not? That's what we should demand of our justices. And that is should be. It shouldn't matter what their personal beliefs are. And I think that in your Senate hearings, that's what the questions that should be asked is not so much where do you stand on Roe v. Wade? Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on these issues? It should be, are you going to take these cases and apply them against the Constitution? And then it doesn't really matter what your your beliefs are because there there are plenty of things. And even in my race, there are things that I believe that I'm not campaigning on because I don't want to – I don't believe that I should take my personal beliefs and impose them on someone else. So there's a, there's a difference between what I believe and how I would vote. And I don't think that that's hypocrisy. And I think that we should, again, demand of our justices the same thing that – you know, your, your personal beliefs don't matter. And I know we're kind of moving away from that. We're trying to become a third legislative body or, but the two justices that are most revered are the, were the most political Scalia and Ginsburg in in modern times. And I think that's true, James. And I think there are people that can do that. I think a vast majority of those elected don't do what you just said. Right. And they are there for a partisan reason, and they vote a very partisan line. Um, and I believe in the systems. I believe in the institutions. And I, I don't as much care. I mean, I do care about the outcome, but I don't believe the end justifies the means. I believe we need to uphold the institutions for what they, what they were meant to be. And I think Supreme Court justices tend to moderate over time to that right. position. Sure. Um the the mantle of responsibility when you put on the robe and you sit up there and you realize what you're doing and maybe because we've abdicated sort of the moral compass of the country to the supreme court that 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 responsibility weighs on these people and they know that they're the last word right that yeah that's pretty much it. The, the the Senate and the House and the President should be the last word, but they've abdicated it, and all of a sudden it hits you. It's like, 
oh my gosh, we're we're setting precedent for the next hundred years. I was so. listening to a Democratic podcast on the way drive down here today, and they were talking about ACB and how they were appalled at all of the the stances she was taking. And oh my gosh, she's you know pro life, and oh my gosh, she doesn't believe in climate change, or at least wouldn't answer the question on climate change. And my thought is, she also says that she's an originalist. She also says that she's going to follow what the Constitution says and what was originally intended in the Constitution. Like her personal beliefs should not matter. That white privilege document. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely true. But if you don't like what the Constitution <clears throat> says, you need to change the Constitution. It it is not unchangeable. Put in a an amendment to change the white privilege uh, portions that you don't <laughs> so, like. There's a there's a lot of um, anguish this weekend. Um, and everybody I know is completely amped up, but one of the, one of the, um, I've got a contractor who's working on my house and he's, he's a, a half contractor, half philosopher. And, um, I said to him, how'd you vote on these ballot measures? And he said, I didn't vote on them. He, goes, he didn't vote on them. No, he goes, I only vote for Trump. He oh, goes, geez. he goes, um, and, and he goes, I never voted before Trump. I voted, I've only made two votes in my life and they're Trump and Trump. Right. And he's, and he, and all the subcontractors, you know, the world of subcontracting, you know, half of the, half of the world is underground economy and half right. of the people are Russian <laughs> and nobody's registered to vote. And he's, he's, he spends <laughs> half his time on the job lecturing them to register to vote. I said to him, well, there's a lot of bad things on the ballot, you know, and you're, you're uh, right. conservative and you're articulate and you want everybody to vote and register. And so why didn't you vote for all this other stuff? And he said, because the system's all rigged. There's no, you can't change the system. I mean, Trump's the only one, only time I'd ever voted because right. the system's rigged. What, um, what, what it, it, Donald Trump Sunday headline, in the wall street journal is 10 points down. If he loses, what what are we go- you know i mean the the elite the restoration can hardly wait to come back into power and say i told you so and blah 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 and all the all the government rules and queens rules and all the all the swamp rules are going to go back the restoration of the complete you know adoration of the obama swampland is going to happen what do we say to what are we going to say to people like that who are so newly energized into politics well i think you're bringing up a great point and i think it's a fundamental shift that um the Democrats don't recognize is that your contractor mm-hmm. historically is a Democrat mm-hmm. and Irish and the um, I sent you guys a video of a mixed martial arts a boxer mm-hmm. that was coming out and saying, look, we're not going to just vote with the Democrats anymore. They're they're trying to feed us a bunch of hooey and mm-hmm. we are going to stand up and Donald Trump is standing up for us and he's standing up for people like us and I'm going to vote for Donald mm-hmm. Trump and I want you to. So there's a shift, I believe, where working class people, mm-hmm. small business people, first generation immigrants that have successfully started to build lives and careers and families and family legacies here in the United States are going to say, no, I reject the Democrats, I reject the mommy state, and I'm going to side with the Republicans. And it might not happen fast enough to turn the tide of this election. Mm-hmm. But you get a Biden administration in there. Slow Joe. And they keep doing, it's it's Obama 
administration on right. steroids yep. and you you turn off the keystone pipeline and you shut off oil and gas prices go to five dollars a gallon and all these sort of yeah. highly regressive things for working class people now the democrats will say but he was from scranton he understands working people <laughs> he doesn't understand <laughs> the new generation of working people yeah he doesn't understand the guys that that are working on houses and laying mm. floors and building buildings and and that sort of thing in the in the private sector mm. economy he doesn't understand them. He's it, been a politician for fifty <clears throat> years, so yeah, you you can't be in touch with working class America if you've been a politician for forty seven years. One of one of the interesting things too, I mean, this this election is so convoluted in some ways. Um, was when Rush had um, the president on during the COVID when he was recovering from COVID, so so he took over. Uh, at Rush's show one day, I think it was a Friday. And one of the issues that came up that Rush was just stunned by was healthcare. And he, he said, because he, he opened it up to his listeners and he said, okay, send me questions. And all these small business people who have to buy healthcare on the independent market where they, you know, they don't get the benefit of the, the exemptions that the large purchasers do through Ariza and they don't get the tax deduction had seen their bills, you know, healthcare bills double and triple. You, you and I have bought health right. insurance, all three of us <laughs> yep. on the independent market and rush, you know, I'm sure rush Limbaugh enterprise is so big that he buys <laughs> yeah. large purchase of healthcare and gets a lot of deductions. So he was just sort of stunned that people that Republicans, his listeners, that their number one issue was healthcare purchase. And I thought, you know, this is really big America versus little America. You know, where, where right. big America just doesn't understand the, what the, what the, what the small entrepreneur Main Street is going through. And so then, and Rush, so Rush talked about it for a while and he was still like, couldn't quite figure it out. Like, why would all these <laughs> yeah. Republicans care about healthcare? And so finally this guy calls him up and he says, well, look, you know, my healthcare is uh, junk healthcare. And he goes, well, do you, it's because you buy, is it a lousy company or something? He goes, no, it's just a junk, pol it's a good company. It's a junk policy. I have to pay 10,000. It's more than my mortgage. Right. And my deductible is 7,500. So I can't go to the doctor. And Rush is like stunned. You know, here's <laughs> Mr. Mr. You know, he, you know, every small business person in the world right. has Rush on during, you know, in their, on their shop or their, their business or whatever or, or working at home. And he was just stunned, didn't, didn't know it. And he's like, He's like, you mean, you mean you pay more than your mortgage and you, your deductible is 7,500? And he's like, yeah, Rush, it's junk health, healthcare. And Rush is like, really? Uh, we, we, we have to do something. We have a, that. we have a, we have a problem. <laughs> yes. That's a, that's a problem. That's what I'm talking about. That problem. <laughs> We're going to come back and talk more about those problems after I break. This is Ali and Pacero. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349. 6349 or slash Portland. Welcome back to Ali M. Pacero with James Ball. And Jim wants to talk about. Well, I, I, I've got a, a ton of liberal friends. And one of my liberal friends who's most strident is like, he's like, 
but when Biden wins, you people are going to be have to be lined up and you're going to have to stand against the firing squad and be shot for how what the horrible things you have done in enabling President Trump. And you really are going to have to suffer for your sins. And he says this as he's like, can, can I buy you a beer at the golf course? You know, I mean, he's <laughs> but he's really committed. And, and, and yeah. a lot I get of, a lot of that, too. A, yeah. yeah, a yeah. lot of liberals feel that way. And it, it's really um upsetting because. The, because you'd be dead. Yes, <laughs> that the French Revolution <laughs> right. and, and and the restoration of the Bourbons. But the the other part that's upsetting is the the idea that they've missed the whole populist movement. I mean, the idea. I, yeah. I, you know, this goes back to Al, one of the things you say about Democrats. You know, if you if you try to be nice to them and say you know and run in a certain way. All you do is make them feel bad about what not voting for you. Right. You know, they're, they're like, Oh, I like him. I'd never vote for him. He's a Republican. Right. But, but so the idea, so their advice to us, if Trump loses is, um, you know, now go back to Mark Hatfield and Tom McCall and, you know, <laughs> Mitt Romney. You go, go back to having your manners and we'll put you in a little camp and see if you can do it. Right. You know, and if you can't, no, we'll shoot you, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so the idea that the Republican party, is not going to be populist going forward is just ridiculous no. that we are somehow going to go back to the, to the Matt, to the Jeb Bush, Mitt Romney, uh, Republican party. And y- you, you, you so what, what, sometimes you, have that tone. How would that you we, define that? I mean, so I, I, I think that looking out, well, so yeah. I mean, how, how would you define the Mitt Romney that was not appealing to the little guy, the, the immigrant? Um, I, I would define it in terms of we have a big, movement of 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 what do they call that the relocation of the party yeah realignment and so the 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 idea that we're going to return to a politics where small business and big business get together and they're 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 kind of compassionate conservatives and they do that you know they're just they're just better fiscally than the democrats and they're well-mannered on the social issues and all of those things and somehow they just run things better than the Democrats, but they're, you know, that's, but they're nice Republicans is not what's going to be in the future. You know, right. the Republican party is going to be the, as Alan has been saying, I've, I've been saying it's going to be the working class and immigrant party and, and small business party and big business is probably going to bounce between the two of them, you yeah. know, and, and kind of, you know, go with whichever way the wind's blowing, but the party is going to change. And the, the new leaders, the Nikki Haley's, the Scott Walkers, the Christy Gnomes. I mean, they are a populace. They're not going to be, uh, Mitt Romney's. Yeah. I think, I think you're exactly right. I think government has now gotten so big that big business can't just be Republican. Mm-hmm. It kind of has to sit in the middle mm-hmm. and it has to play both yeah. sides. Little business, populists, small guys, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That's all going to be Republican. And I was think it increasingly, not? I was think it not increasingly, Republican? I think increasingly minorities. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to start to see the minorities swing from just voting with the Democrats. What'd you say? 92% of, of, of black people, 92% of black people. Vote and we Democrat. know that we know, and we could pretend, we can pretend like a lot of people are trying to pretend that Hispanics aren't voting heavily Democratic, but there's no way that Texas is in play. I think it's like right 60, 40. Yeah. The Hispanics, I think, are 60, 40 yeah, or maybe 65, 35. And they should all be Republican. I think this shift is, is going to occur and the, the, the traditional Democrats of giving free stuff, those, those entrepreneurs, the guy that was working on your house, you go to them and say, 
I think you need to pay taxes, fees, and fines so that we can pay off the student loans of all those people that went to small liberal arts colleges, got massive loans, and are now working at Starbucks, right? I think that's what you need to do. It's like absolutely no. Oh, and a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people in the private sector, and I, and 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 I, uh, my contractors won. He had to make a choice between a mortgage or healthcare. Yes. And a lot of people have made that choice. You know, some have chosen healthcare, some have chosen a mortgage, but people who work in government would never, I mean, they'd be like, Oh my God, you, you didn't buy health insurance or this or that. You know, I mean, they would just be, they just assume that all that goes with a college degree. Well, and when, when I was, when I first started buying my own health care before Obamacare, I was able to buy a policy for like $150 a month. Mm-hmm. And it was a catastrophic care right. policy because I don't, I didn't care yeah. except if I had a heart attack right. or, or mm-hmm. cancer or something like that. Right. And in the meantime, I'll kind of take care of it myself. Right. Mine went up 10x. I I now pay fifteen or until I went on Medicaid yeah. man, Medicare, I, mine went up to fifteen hundred dollars yeah, exactly. a month for the right? same for the same catastrophic. Yes. Care. No, I couldn't get I couldn't oh, get it anymore. It's all, you have all the requirements. I have to get all the bells and whistles and all the prenatal care and but, all. The- but he still has a high deductible, so it might as well be a no, catastrophic. But, it, but, but you have to pay for all that. All yeah. the right. other no, stuff. James yeah. pay for oh, all that. What what what's your you're the millennial? What's your f- future? You you say that that the Republican Party. I mean, sometimes you sound. Like a traditional Republican. Well, uh, so I, I mean, all these people you're talking about, I don't know why they weren't, I, were, th- were they not Republicans? I mean, were they voting Democrat? A lot of them well, weren't voting. Like, well, maybe they weren't. Uh, uh, that's what I'm saying. A lot like, of them I weren't I don't, I don't voting. Think, I don't think that my policies have changed. And I think that those type of people have always been right leaning, even if they didn't vote, like they, they fit within the Republican Party's, you know, kind of mantra of small government. I'd say, they w- many of them were moderate Democrats, and the Democratic Party left them. The Democratic but- Party, when it when it got radicalized and moved left, it's the people that were sitting there that said, "I'm historically my parents were Democrats, or you know, my my peer group are Democrats. I kind of hang out in a you know, we're Democrats, right? We're part of the blue team." And then it's like we're not part of that blue team. We're not part of the, uh, the, the leftist crazy blue team. And they left. So, and now they're sitting there and they're, they're saying that Donald Trump guy, he speaks my language. Okay. He's a fighter. So, so if Donald Trump, uh, conducts the war, if, if Mitt Romney conducts the war against the left on sort of a low heat, one or two level on the stove, and yeah. Donald Trump conducts it on, you know, 10, you know, full boil, where, what temperature should the war? I guess this is the question for the Republican Party going forward. What temperature should the war be fought on? It depends on where you are. Okay. This is something Alan says a lot: is that in order to win in Oregon, you need ten percent of Democratic right. votes. So, is one in ten or one in ten Democrats in Oregon going to vote for a Donald Trump who's got it cranked to ten and is yeah. fighting everything the left is doing? Right. Probably not. Right. So, a Donald Trump is not going to win in Oregon. Maybe he can win na- nationwide. And I guess we we're talking about two different things here. But I would say in Oregon, it needs to get turned down. We need to co-opt the left. We need Democrats to vote for us or we're never going to win anything. Mm-hmm. Let's continue this after the break. This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. 
Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. And we're talking about Republicans here in Oregon and what we need to do and you're, to win. Eventually, you're going to make us do predictions. Yeah, I'm going to make you do predictions. <laughs> oh, but the the thing is, is that, and and this is the tightrope, James. Um, if you moderate to the point where you're Democrat light, then the Democrats say, "Well, I don't exactly trust him because he did put on the red jersey." So I'm just going to vote for the Democrat. This is the new Bueller campaign. I'm I'm going to vote for the Democrat. I'm going to vote for the real Democrat. And I'm going to hope that the real Democrat has moderated their position slightly so that I get a little more balance. The other thing that people in Oregon do not understand is how much the Democratic Party and the Democratic elected officials in Oregon have been bought lock, stock and barrel by the public employee unions. And that's and and this. This uh, campaign finance reform that we're going through is just going to make it worse yep. because the only big money that's going to be left is union money. And so and I don't think I'm absolutely sure my Democratic friends do not believe that that's true. They believe that the Democratic Party in Oregon is about, you know, little people and helping people and all the. All the positive things about the Democratic Party. It's like, unless you're homeless, then they don't care about you. Right. It's like, no, the public employee unions have created such a massive financial liability that they have to control the government to make sure that that continues to, to be the case. And my Democratic friends do not, do not yet believe that. And I don't know how much I could ever convince them of that because the, the message, we talked about it last week, the message on the public employee retirement system is so complicated and it's such a horrible thing. It's almost like there's been a murder, right? And, but it's been covered up really, really well. And if you agree that, that this problem is there, you're basically copying to, yeah, I kind of, I kind of murdered the Oregon economy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of responsible well, so for that. So I, I think what we talked about last time is that this going down the PERS rabbit hole is not really a winning issue. No. You, you can't, can't soundbite it. You can't convince people that it's real if they choose not to believe it. So I I am trying the, the you know, moving to the center to see if I can get some more votes. That was the whole point of running for office right. is to see if, if a moderate, like a true moderate Republican can, can get how Democrats you, to how, vote. How do you move to the center on PERS? I don't think you talk about PERS. I don't think that's a winning issue. But it's kind of the number one issue in the state. I mean, it's the to to I mean, us, at, to, maybe after, to maybe after the homeless pandemic. To, to political insiders, it's a huge deal. But, but, to, to, but, your, but, but to the state finances, I mean, yeah, it, but you, you a, can't. You know, it's you're, not you're an rank issue and file. That you can, you can mm-hmm. motivate yeah. voters on. Your rank and file they voter do, doesn't care. They do doesn't care. Know. They do care when all of a sudden Beaverton school district has to lay off 20 teachers or something, then it does. Get- but until it gets to that point, they're not even going to know it's a problem so, because they don't have the time to go through Alan's 17 page paper on it. <laughs> I talked. <laughs> no, I, offense, it, this is, no, that's absolutely true. When I ran for treasurer, the one thing that I learned, well, I learned a lot of things, but one thing that I learned was people aren't mad that other people have purrs. 
what they want is purse for themselves. They, everybody wants it. I want that security. Mm-hmm. And if 350,000 Oregonians have it, that's 350,000 individuals have it right now. You add in their families, yeah, one purse their check. mothers. Yeah, one purse check and support an extended family. Right. And, yeah. and what, and if my mom has PERS, she goes from a f- potential financial liability to a financial asset, mm-hmm. right? If your, if your wife has PERS, if your husband has PERS, they go from, we know somebody mm-hmm. very well, mm-hmm. right? Where their spouse has PERS, they're fixed for life, yeah. right? Yeah. You take 350,000 people, multiply that by the people that are affected, and you win an election with mm-hmm. a million votes in Oregon. Yeah. Right. So you can't be perceived as taking it away. In fact, what I've said is purse for everyone. Let's come up with a way of creating that sense of security for everybody in the state. I actually think there's ways there's you, ways you, to you, do it. You think you, uh, that'd be very interesting to know to, to sit through a presentation. Where yeah. You, where no, you it's 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 pretty that. easy. It's like a war bond. Uh-huh. I allow you to, we allow you, we pass all the laws to allow you to invest in the same funds mm-hmm. that the PERS funds are in. Yeah. You get 5% guaranteed. Mm-hmm. 5% guaranteed compounded, double tax free. Yeah. Right? The funds are making about 7.2 to 7.4%. They keep the spread. So they're making a little bit extra mm-hmm. on that and you get a guaranteed 5% income. That way, it's, you know, it's purse for everyone. You can invest too. You can get the advantage. There so, are huge advantages of having a $60 billion fund investing rather than Alan with a couple thousand bucks. So there's, there absolutely are ways to do it. Do you think that that's a winning issue that that can get one in 10 Democrats to vote for Republican? I think issues, turning things around like that to being a, a positive message of, we have a way to take care of everybody, not taking things away from people. Generally speaking, yes. And I think Republicans have to kind of turn things around and, and start thinking that way. Now, that's something that a Democrat could adopt in a heartbeat. Has mm-hmm. any state in the country ever offered a retirement system like that? I don't think so. I mean, this is there's, the kind of thing that Dick Went was talking about when, when he wanted to there's privatize legal, Social Security. There's legal issues with yeah. doing it. Um but it's really interesting. But this is where this is where I, I've even run this by Lars, and yeah. Lars is like, "Well, that sounds okay to me." Right? Right? There's legal issues with doing it. People will tell you, "Well, you can't do that mm-hmm. because you can't bond a pension liability and all this kind of stuff." It's like, look, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can solve this if it takes a bill at Congress. Mm-hmm. If you go to Congress and say, "Look, we're going to put together a pension relief package," and part of that pension relief package is we're going to send some money to the states. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out how to do that. We're going to allow the states to bond this way, mm-hmm. and. If you accept this money and you accept this process, you can no longer have an undefined pension. You, you have to fund your pension fully or you lose all these rights. Yeah. There's, there's ways to do this to craft it, but you've got to move it up to the top of your priority and, and nobody seems to be. Nobody, nobody cares because, no. because they have buried their heads in the sand because they're all bought and paid for by the employee unions who are telling them to bury their heads in the sand. Because if you, as soon as you admit there's a problem, you have to assign blame for the problem, and you can't do that when your financers are the when problem. You, when you, it's a murder, right? Yeah. It, it's like yep. 
as, as soon as you acknowledge it, it's like, okay, there's a murder. Well, who's you- responsible? Well, for 30 years, Democrats have run the state top to bottom. It, obviously, the Democrats committed the murder. Yep. And they can't do it. I understand why they can't do it. But, but what I'm talking about is a way out without admitting that you committed a murder. Yeah. And that's the, that's the kind of thinking that we need. Yep. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Then we're coming back with Jim's predictions. I'm going to run down the list and oh, Jim's no. going to give you a prediction oh, for God, every no. race I'm and right. every ballot measure no. in the entire state, both oh. locally and nationally. This I'm is Ali and Pacero. We're back. <laughs> it's Ali and Pacero with James Ball running for House of District 36. There's an election what? going on. Yeah. No. No, absolutely. So I'll start out with some easy ones here. We'll start out. uh, Well, let's start out nationally. Let's start out at the top. Trump. Well, I I have the disclaimer. I run a political action committee, which is mission in Oregon is to get Republicans elected. So anything I say is going to, um, you know, if I if I'm if I well, let's put it this way. Put it that way. Do you see a path to victory for Trump? Uh, No. Really? Yeah. Wow, I do. Well, that's good. You've been it's, saying it for a month. No, and, I really do. Well, good. Explain it. So, if if you go on 538 or Real Clear Politics or whatever, Jim, turn this right around on me. It's like, okay, <laughs> you, you pick the winners and losers. And you go through and you look at all the polls. There are polls in states. Generally speaking, Biden leads in the swing states. But there are some that are close and have mm-hmm. closed. Mm-hmm. Um. And the fact that, I mean, if Biden wins Texas, it's all over. We just n- need to go build bunkers and yeah. and take the ARs and go down in the basement and I sit think there. It, I think and, if there's a surprise, it might be Georgia, not Texas. Wait for it to, to but, clear. Yeah. Um, Georgia's another one. I, I think it all comes down to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's it, really close. it could be really, really close. And it comes down to North Carolina, and that's going to be the swing state. But mm-hmm. Trump has to win Florida. He's got to win Ohio. He's got to pick off Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. or I was going to say, I, thought, I think Minnesota 538. Or, 538 is saying that Pennsylvania, they think, is going to be the tipping point. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I think he has to have Pennsylvania. Yes. I think he, he has to have Pennsylvania be, and North, it, North Carolina. He's got to get North Carolina. And Florida. He has to have all three of those states. Yeah, and you yeah. got to get Florida. Yeah. And it'll be so interesting because – all of the media mm-hmm. is Biden's pretty much got this, mm-hmm. right? Biden's got it, and I, I am, and that I'm includes drawing, the, that includes the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. Now the Wall Street Journal, oddly enough, they say I just looked at it. Ten points. Biden's right. up on Trump, and then then the third paragraph it says, except it's closing Closer in the swing in the swing, in, the, in the battleground states, and it's actually closing. Yeah, a national a national. Poll doesn't matter. It's it's the uh, what's it look like in the swing states? And five thirty eight keeps talking about this. It's like Biden's up by ten percent percent. That is an irrelevant statistic. Yeah. Where is he in Pennsylvania? Where is he in North Carolina? Where so, is he in Florida? So this is my my anecdotal analysis. Is I was in Arizona, and uh, guys, I'm telling you, Arizona feels more like it's going for Trump than Oregon feels like it's going for Biden. I thought you were full of it. And then I texted my nephew who lives in Phoenix and he said exactly what you're Did saying. He? Yes, exactly. Yeah. He said, I said, is, is, is Arizona going blue? He goes, it feels like it's going for Trump. Right. He said I all mean, the energy's on the Trump side. A hundred percent. Right. And, but the Hispanics are going to vote and not tell you. 
If they vote. They're also probably so, not buying but, T-shirts. But it'll so. be – I'm I'm really looking forward to next week yeah. so that we can look at some of this. Because if Arizona is 3, 4, 5 percent blue, something something doesn't make any sense right. at all. Well, right? enthusiasm is, is one – I think that this is – we're char- uncharted territory with Do enthusiasm. You? I think that you've got super enthusiastic people, but I don't know that – I mean, you still only get one vote. Do you see a path to victory for Trump? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I believe in the polls. I think there's about a 10% chance that he wins. He, there's, there's, you know, chance three, about three to five vote, states. We're right. not going to vote 10 times. We're only going to yeah, vote once. Right. So if, right. But it, that was, he had but, about a 20% chance of winning. In, but here's the thing that energy does. Energy makes you feel comfortable about voting for the energy. So here, if you're going to vote for Trump in Oregon, you feel very uncomfortable in the North I Willamette Valley. Having my lights on, you with feel the Halloween candy very, last night. you feel very uncomfortable with the repercussions from voting for Trump. Right? If you're in Arizona, mm-hmm. I mean, trucks with Trump flags driving around, mm-hmm. people selling Trump merchandise yeah. by the side of the road, Trump signs up. There isn't a. I never saw a Biden mm-hmm. sign. Yeah, not. One Biden side. I never saw a homeless person. Yeah. Right. So, so in Arizona, socially, it's acceptable to vote for Trump. In the North Willamette Valley, it is not socially acceptable mm-hmm. to vote for Trump. People, people will, will, will judge you, spurn you, exercise I, you. I, I drove through my neighborhood yesterday in Southwest Portland looking at the signs and there's a potpourri of liberal signs they start with uh, oh yeah there's a biden harris sign there's a shamia fagan sign there's a black lives matter sign there's a justice justice sign there's one there's that sign we believe in love and peace and you know right. all that world and all you know and, and and everybody had like all the signs each each one kind of represented about 15 percent. there wasn't you know there were right there weren't there weren't a ton of biden harris signs compared to the rest of them but there was a but it was just this mix of and they were all you know course liberal i hate the uh the we believe in love whatever whatever right. sign and here's why those are all republicans great don't believe in love well that's that's the implication right. that's yeah. the implication like when you are saying i believe in love we believe in you know with blah blah blah, blah, blah. What that implies is there is a group of people who does not believe in those yes. things, and everybody knows that that's a left-wing sign. You because served in the military for three tours I did. because you didn't love your country. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Right. But but like it, it implies the implication is we are standing against the people who believe these things, yeah. and of course the people who be, who do not believe in love and affection and whatever are the Republicans. Yeah. And so even though it's this very positive, huggy, touchy feely sign, it is a highly partisan implication that republicans are bad people and you are a bad person if you vote republican and i hate it yeah so you got to do something about it back to our predictions jim yes scarlatos that should be an easy one for you. he's gonna win if trump carries the district now i understood from the campaign that trump was a few points behind in the district trump's got to carry that district but if he does and he did not carry it in 16 tied tied he lost it by 500 votes to hillary but he's got to carry the district. So it, the interesting thing in 16 was, do you know how what percent Hillary got in Oregon? 50, 51 percent, and Trump got 39. 50.1. Yeah, 51. Okay. Hmm. 50.1. Right. This almost the same as Kate Brown got. It, <laughs> half. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, it, it, a lot of those votes went to – somebody even further left mm-hmm. right right um 
So it'll be interesting to see, does Trump outperform 2016 in Oregon? You wouldn't expect it given the energy, right? No, you would not. You wouldn't expect him to get more than 39. No, you wouldn't. Well, so here is Eugene in CD4. Mm-hmm. So and Corvallis and right? Corvallis. So none of the kids are on campus. That's, that's not true. Uh, some of the kids are on campus. Well, some, but, but I think you're, the, you, you know, young, young people point. tend to vote, but there's a lot of liberal. kids on campus. They're just not going to, you know, the, the school. They're not going to class. They're not going to class. They're, they're on campus partying. <laughs> exactly. And when all drugs are legalized, yes, exactly. then they're really going to party. Yeah, that's right. No, I think it's. Uh, well, you're not going to have as many Democratic votes. Yeah. No, if, I think if you're right. college, the colleges are not fully staffed. Um, yeah. So I think you might see a. I, I think Scarlatus is going to win. Got take a break. We'll come back with more predictions from Jim, or more Jim dodging predictions. Uh, this is Ali and Pizarro. <laughs> we're back. We're doing the bonus segment uh, just for Jim. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> so I want to do some national ones. Have you followed these the Senate? Yes, I have. Okay, so Jones versus Tuberville in. Alabama, Tuberville, Tommy Tuberville, former beat Jeff Sessions, Auburn coach, coach yes. right? Beat the beat the. I think he beat the Ducks in the national championship. Game. Yeah. So, what do you think, Tuberville? Yeah. Okay. Republican. Got that. And does James going to get in on these two? You gonna get- no, it's just you. Okay. Oh, James, I don't, if you I don't pay attention. Don't pay I'm, I'm Oregon. I'm he, Oregon. You're right. you're running a campaign. Uh, Kelly McSally in Arizona. Oh, this is the this is the astronaut. This the is the Gabby astronaut Giffords Giffords running against Giffords, McSally, McSally. Who's, the, who's the American war hero, right? Fluent, uh, who's managed, to, who's going to have managed to lost lose two Senate seats in Arizona. Yeah. Kelly wins, right? That's what I, I yeah. you know. This is the weird thing is I know, like I was McSally in Arizona, and the energy for Trump is like off the charts, right. but McSally, not so much. Well, and then he, and then yeah. I mean, and, um, and the, yeah, there, and there's this thing where they cornered her, you know, Arizona public, whatever, and said, you know, do you, you know, do you support Donald Trump? And she's like, yes. And, uh, it, I, I don't know it. No, but uh, that's the weird thing yeah. is that supporting Trump in Arizona is not the same as supporting Trump in Oregon. Or, I know. But I do feel Kelly. But it may not be a positive either. Kelly has established an image. If yeah. you see him, if you see his commercials, he mm-hmm. walks and talks and sounds like a Republican, but it's like everybody knows he's really a Democrat and right. he's married to Gabby Giffords. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Gardner versus Hickenlooper in Colorado. And Hickenlooper, who, thought, who, who ran for president uh, before he jumped into the Senate race. And so it'll be Hickenlooper, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, David Perdue, Republican versus Osloff in Georgia. Boy, George is really on the bubble right now. I mean, and this is where the demographic, this is where the demographics of the Republican Party and, you know, Donald Trump has a, there's a lot of brilliance behind Donald Trump's populist movement. But if, if he doesn't win, the thing that you're going to look at and say we need to fix is we're a little retro on the demographics. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to, we got to have new voters and we, we can't do old white. Yeah. And we're, and we can't be sort of wrestling with Hispanics and African Americans. We need to be more embracing. And, and so. Georgia is that state, you know, because it's, it's, the, the, it's, it's just, right. it's just changing as Texas is. And I think one more election, the Republicans pull it out. So Purdue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but also apparently is a pretty good candidate. Iowa, Ernst Greenfield. Oh, I really, I, you know, I thought Ernst was going to lose for the longest time. And Ernst is the incumbent. Republican yeah. incumbent. I thought she was going to lose for the longest time. I think maybe she might win it. 
I'm really worried about the entire Midwest being anti-Trump at this point. And so if she does lose, it's only because she, you know, under the wave of Trump, because I think she's probably personally pretty popular. James, you want to get in and say, I have no idea who you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, Maine, Collins, Susan Collins is done. Yeah, I think so. You no, know, I mean, that's just a, See, that's, that's just been in the oven way too long. And this is an issue of, uh, she has no identity, mm-hmm. right? It's like she's not a Republican. She's not a Democrat. She's not – I don't know. I, I Nobody has done well, though. I mean, in her defense, nobody has done well going up against Donald Trump You know, as a Republican. Everybody has – Oh, going lost. up against yeah, everybody Trump. has lost. You know, whether it was Marco Rubio or John Kasich or Jeff Flake, you know, everybody right. who's gone up against him, Ben Sass, has lost. And Susan Collins went up against him. And, you know, and, and so it goes right to your sweet spot, which is the Democrats won't embrace you. And now you, right. and now you, and now you, and now you, you've suppressed Republican right. vote. Uh, Danes versus Bullock in Montana. Boy, this is really, I mean, this is where Donald Trump. So Danes is the Republican. Yes. And Bullock's the governor, Democratic governor, governor, also ran for president. Right. And he, Bullock was ahead most of this race, but I think because Donald Trump is solidly ahead, eight, ten points in Montana, that he'll carry Danes across the finish line. I think that's probably true. I agree. Uh, Tillis, Republican in North Carolina against Cunningham. Uh, Cunningham, even though he's got a sexual really? uh, scandal. Yeah. He's, he's just, his polls have just been, I mean, again, you know, it's how much faith you put. But, I mean, he had that sexual scandal and it really didn't dent his poll numbers. He was sexting or something, yes. right? And, and, and this is, um, and, and Tillis, was stood up to Donald Trump a little bit and then caved and you know that kind of puts a little scarlet like Ben Sash. You gotta get that right. scarlet letter when you when you've done that. And so the problem with the worry for the presidential campaign is Cunningham wins and then does that create coattails for North Carolina going Democrat? Because I believe the Democratic gov- gubernatorial candidates up there too. Yep. So that's that's the worry about North Carolina. Okay. And then uh Lindsey Graham Versus Harrison in South Carolina. Oh, Lindsey Graham wins. And um, I think it'll be good for Lindsey Graham's career that he got scared because he really got scared. And he had one debate where he, which I saw on C-SPAN where he almost, it was just, he was horrific. And he was having a tantrum about the fact that, that the great Lindsey Graham actually had to go back to South Carolina to, to win a Senate seat. But the hearings, I think, really, really helped him. Reminded people, I do too. Reminded people that he is a national figure. I don't know. If, I, I, I think you're right. I think that. Not any, he, he did a pretty good job, I thought. And Trump was going to win the state by 15 or 20 points. Yeah. Um, so we just reviewing Jim's picks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause these are easy. Well, except that they, <laughs> they're going to add up to a Democratic Senate, which is really, really okay. so unnerving. Well, you might be wrong on a okay. couple. I hope so. So Tuberville in, uh, Alabama, Kelly in Arizona, Hickenlooper in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Purdue in Georgia. Is that, that's the mm-hmm. way we did one more election mm-hmm. there. Ernst in Iowa. Yeah. And right? that's, that's my shaky's pick. Gideon. Cause she's, been, Cause she's been behind the whole time. Gideon in Maine over Collins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danes in Montana. Mm-hmm. Coattails in Montana's yeah. solidly red. Uh, Cunningham in North Carolina. Yeah. Right. What's that add up to? I'm, I'm not going to add them up because that's too sobering. And then Lindsey Graham holds. Mm hmm. In uh, okay, there's one other Senate. And Scarlatos, right? Scarlatos. There's one other Senate race that's really interesting, which is Georgia, 
where they're all, I think they're all running in the primary together. The, I think the, we got, the, we had that one. No, Purdue there's two, versus there's, Ossoff? No, there's two Senate oh, races in Georgia. And the other one is they're all running in the primary together, uh, because on election day, it's actually the primary in, in this Senate race. And then they have a, the election afterwards. Uh, and it's the Democrat is leading, Weird. but the battle is really between this Kelly Loeffler, who's this blonde. She's kind of the Laura Ingram of, of, of Georgia. She's married to some rich business person and she's, uh, got appointed the U.S. Senate. Trump didn't want her because he wanted Collins, the House member who led in the impeachment, uh, battle, uh, to defend the president. And so Loeffler and Collins are very close. So that running two and three. And so, so, in the runoff, one of them will get to the runoff and I think probably win the seat. Okay. Yeah. One final prediction. Wheeler. Oh. Mayor of Portland. Oh. And we're going to you, – you're close enough to this one that you get a pick too. I think Ayanna yeah, Rowan gets it. Okay. I don't want her to get it, but she's going to get it. Okay. Ooh. Jimmy? God, I think Wheeler wins. Yeah, he's down by like 11 points last I heard. There was another poll that showed it was tied. I hope okay. he wins. I, I voted for him, but I don't know. Uh. Well, you got two votes for him. Right. right? Well, who, he's got at least, th- what do you think? At least two votes. Alan, what do you think on that one? I would say a month ago, Wheeler was toast. Yeah. And what seemed to happen, and, and I on her own, when you see her in the debates, she does not seem scary at all. No. Right? She seems nice. Uh, I wouldn't say moderate, but it's not evil. Not like Antifa evil, black mask, mm-hmm. right? She seems very nice, very approachable, mm-hmm. earnest, really cares about people. But I think Wheeler's come on recently, and I think... Uh, you know, it's, he was down, coming down the stretch, and they're, the two horses are neck and neck, and he's going to get his nose out, and it's a photo finish with Wheeler by a nose. God. So Here we'll we see. Next week, it's after the election. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. This is Ali and Pissero and James Ball welcoming you back next week to find out. I, do I, our predictions come true? And, and, you know, can I, yeah, the the last thing I wanted to say was, if Trump doesn't win, does he I, – I think the movement that he has uh, started is so important that does he does he become a statesman? Is it possible? No. But we'll talk about that next <laughs> <Okay>. week. <laughs> this is Ali and Pissero. Thanks for listening. This has been Ali and Pissero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Pissero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.